1: Ah, Welcome back to Hurt Tell. Okay, when we have news and concerns and questions about big tech, this is who we go to. If you've got concerns about the interwebs, this is who we go to. If you have all kinds of questions about the gobbledygook doublespeak about internet regulation that our Congress is foisting upon us, this is who we go to. James Ranowski. so great to have you back on the program, buddy. James, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Is there anything interesting going on in the big tech social media realm that we should maybe talk about?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's always something going on, right? But I think the dominating news of the past few days now has been uh, with Elon Musk calling off the, the Twitter acquisition deal officially. Uh, that was something that we both have been monitoring and talking about quite extensively uh, since it was announced back in April. And it took measuring to into uh, it's next phase with Elon Musk terminating that uh, acquisition agreement, and now they are going to get into a very unfriendly, uh, nasty court battle. <laughs> so we'll have to see what happens uh, in this next phase of Elon v. Twitter. But it's it's definitely been a wild ride to say the least.
1: Now we actually talked about this when first half. I was being facetious there because I, I specifically brought you on because last time we talked, well, this is what we talked about. And we talked about like, is this a done deal? Is it not a done deal? We talked about some of the twists and turns that have gone on. Now it is a done deal. Um, My my read on this, let's just work backwards. Let's start with where we're at and then we'll, we'll review a little bit. My my read on this, and from talking to some of our lawyer friends, is like, look, uh, this this is just the buyout with some fancy lawyering on top of it. They're going to go to court. They're going to pre-impose sometime before it goes to discovery. Though they're going to sit down. They're going to come up with a number. It's going to be a lot less than one billion. And in a couple of weeks, when the heat's off, this will all get settled. That kind of feels like where this is going, right?
0: Yeah, I think that that would be the logical path that things should take. But with Elon, there's always that added factor of you just don't know what he's what exactly he's thinking about there. But you're not wrong. Like what's going to happen next is that this is going to get handled by what is known as the chancery court system in Delaware. That is not your typical court system. It is one that is specialized in dealing with matters uh, that have to deal with business uh, related issues. Um, So the good news there is that we'll actually have a pretty good idea as to what's going to happen from the chancery court in a matter of months, not like a normal court proceeding, which could take well over a year uh, and then some. So this should be a little bit more speedy than uh, what we're normally used to with other kinds of court trials here. But, yeah, one would think that basically because the, the incentive is not to go forward with court proceedings as much as humanly possible, it gets very expensive for everybody. Uh, so one would like to think that they're going to sit down and hammer out a deal uh, that probably readjusts the value of what Twitter is going to get bought at. Uh, but again, it remains to be seen. It, we have to see how Twitter's board feels about it uh, in terms of how their willingness is to actually budge off the number that Elon originally went with. And we have to see what Elon's willing to do. Is he truly just trying to walk away and salvage any kind of money that he you know doesn't have to otherwise pay? Or is he is he trying to do it for the purpose of lowering the price? Um, You know, there are different implications that are going to happen here. Uh, I know that when we've talked about this, the fee for breaking off and calling off the merger was a billion dollars. But the reality is, is that it's far larger than that because Twitter is going to sue. There's losses. There's shareholder lawsuits. This is not just a simple billion dollar thing for Elon Musk. It's a lot bigger than that. So all indications would point towards this coming to some kind of resolution.
1: Yeah. And this is exactly why we have you on because let's let's make sure we got everybody on the same page here. A lot of po- folks probably just heard Chancery Court for the first time. Uh, business, especially big business, and this is bigger than big business. When you start talking multi-billion dollar mergers, acquisitions, hostile takeovers, this is a whole different level of business. It's a whole different level of regulation. Just explain to folks, because a lot of folks, they're not going to be familiar with that. And that's why we have you on. You, you explain this stuff. Just break down what the chancellor court does, because that's very, very different than like civil litigation or even like we, we've seen a lot of stuff but like even with Elon Musk, where the SEC takes him to court uh, over sorting things with stock manipulation, things like that. This is a yeah. whole different beast. No, you're absolutely right. It's a completely different
0: beast than your traditional court. Because the Chancery Court in Delaware, which is a fun fact for your listeners, uh, Delaware is the most incorporated state in the entire country. Uh, Every single business that usually wants to get incorporated does so in the state of Delaware, in part because of this unique uh, legal system that they have working there. But basically what ends up happening here is that basically Delaware has its own separate court system that deals with business matters. And because that is how they are structured, they are specialized in dealing with it. And that means that they can get it done faster. We can get to resolutions faster. And it's actually something that businesses like on either side of the aisle, because it means that their litigation costs are lower to figure out what's gonna happen. Uh, There's there's a higher degree of certainty because these uh, judges and lawyers are all gonna be very intimately familiar with business law and the administration and adjudication of that law in the court. Um, so there's a lot of clarity that would be there in the state of Delaware, as opposed to other, uh, judiciary, uh, other judicial sectors where it might not necessarily have that kind of technical expertise. So Delaware is definitely in a unique position. And that's the purpose of this court.
1: Yeah. Uh, James Janowski joining us now. Here's That's the legal side and the technical side and the business side. But what happened online was this became another culture war thing. Uh, I think it was bizarrely so. I think this was really slamming a round peg into a square hole. However, how do we evaluate that now? Because now this, you know, Elon's never going to be quiet online. So he's always going to be out there. However, th- th- this chancellor court thing, this is a pretty much set process. Nobody's going; They're not going to get intimidated by anybody. They don't care what Twitter says about anything. They're just going to plow ahead and do their business. Does this kind of tap down? Because I noticed usually I say anything about Elon Musk, my inbox fills up real, real fast. Boy, them folks are quiet this weekend. They they didn't really want to talk to me. I don't know if that's because I got video of me being right and them wrong. But I'm just saying, we, they got kind of quiet. Do you think the culture aspect of this maybe tones down a little bit, at least until Elon Musk says something else? Because it sure seemed like the whole Twitter thing got hijacked for the moment instead of what it was actually going on, didn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that you bring up an interesting point, right? Because I think when Elon, you know, originally announced that he wanted to buy Twitter, a lot of people were very charged in their emotions, if you will, uh, in terms of how they felt about this, this announcement one way or the other. Um, If you ask conservatives, they thought that it would be a huge boon for free speech. And if you ask liberals, you think that you know, Twitter would get turned into parlor or 4chan or worse. And the reality is, is that we'll never know as of right now because Elon is not going through with purchasing Twitter as of yet until we have a decision on the legal side of this. And I think that, you know, culturally, I think people are starting to come to the reality that it was never as black and white as they thought it was going to be. I think that, you know, it became increasingly apparent that you know, Elon during the period of when they announced the deal to this latest development was more or less armchair CEOing, no more or less than any other internet tiger on the keyboard, right? I think that anybody can pontificate about all the problems that you have on any of these platforms, but it's another thing to be the guy who has to sit in the actual CEO chair and and figure out how you are going to address the very real problems that these platforms are facing,
1: yeah, I put it on on uh, my Twitter too. I was like, look, even if Elon buys them, it's not Elon Musk that's gonna set these policies. It's the it takes an army of engineers to make a social media site run. There's there's technical limitations on this. It's not just I know everybody wants to go to, you know, it's biased and there's shadow ban. There may be some of that. A lot of this stuff is just baked in technical stuff that a lot of us just don't understand, even if we, like they were talking about, they'll release the algorithm. We can even release it. Nobody's going to be able to read it. <laughs> like, I, I got really tickled at that. I was like, you, you can't read the algorithm. You have no idea what that stuff means. A lot of this stuff is technical and baked in. And then we want to put what we think is going on culturally on top of it. And it kind of gives us with an incomplete picture. And I think a lot of us, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes so I'll put myself, we end up looking silly when we probably should have took a step back and just let it breathe.
0: Yeah, I think I think when we're especially when we're looking at like algorithms and anything of that nature, we always have to I always try to express a certain degree of skepticism because I, I think that transparency is a great tool. It's an important tool that can certainly help in the process. But transparency for the sake of transparency is is also something that can be detrimental to a service, too, because there are plenty of nefarious actors that want to go and, you know play with the system and figure out what works and what doesn't work so that way they can go and do what they want to do and use the platform for otherwise not ideal purposes right so i think that you know it sounds nice in theory to talk about algorithm transparency and some of these other proposals out there but again when the rubber hits the road we have to actually have you know solutions and policies that are grounded in reality that can be tested and and, adju- and adjusted on the background and i go i think on average when we're talking about this no matter how you feel about the platforms. There's this default assumption that there's the shadow banning, any of that stuff that you've highlighted. Sometimes it's just a simple mistake. Maybe the algorithm over index is for something. I mean, this is not perfect. Uh, algorithms are only as good as the data that's getting fed into them. And they're managed by humans who are definitely imperfect. They're not angels, last I checked. So I think that it presents a whole different can of worms that people aren't necessarily always thinking about. So we always have to be careful about thinking about trying to put like hard law restrictions on how we're going to operate any of these, uh, you know, very malleable internet services, because uh, if you go down that route, people will certainly, I think end up being in a worse off situation.
1: Yeah. James Janowski, he's so good on this stuff. We come back. There's other stuff going on in the tech news. We're going to ask him about it. He's writing about it, doing a lot of media lately. He's a busy guy. We're thrilled to have him back on hertel tell more with James Stanowski, our tech friend right after this. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. He is our tech expert, big tech expert, regulation expert. Love having him on. Good information, James Renowski. Uh, James, there's other stuff going on, the Elon Musk stuff. One, one of the things I highlighted, too, is because it's kind of been a distraction from some really important stuff going on. Uh, let's start with crypto. Take it from this angle. It's had a real rough time in the headlines. It's having a rough time in the markets. For people that aren't into crypto, because let's admit it, there's a little bit of a cultish, hey, I'm in it and you're not and I'm cool. And there's a a lot of that involved in it. The average person, though, that just kind of pays attention to tech and business and politics, though, what part of that story should they pay attention to? Because the headlines look really bad. I'm sure that it'll bounce back at some point. The average person that consumes politics, though, what should they be paying attention to and what's noise that they should turn down when it comes to crypto right now?
0: Yeah, I think that crypto, for one reason or another, is the hot topic Uh, when you're not too busy thinking about big tech. A lot of countries and individuals are thinking about crypto and thinking about uh, how it's being utilized in different fashions, Uh, particularly at the SEC. We've seen Chairman Gensler try to uh, ramp up his enforcement. And I'd say, like, if you're a consumer, the big thing that you should care about is how is this industry going to look moving forward? And that is shaped by how the government decides to treat it. And so far underneath the Biden administration, it's Not been a very friendly relationship. Uh, like I said, Chairman Gensler over the SEC is being extremely big on enforcement against crypto, um, trying to treat every single cryptocurrency like a security as opposed to a commodity or a currency. In my opinion, when you're looking at cryptocurrencies, there's a variable use factor there because it depends on the users. Some people they do look at it as a security. They see the upward you know trajectory of bitcoin and they're like yeah i want to hold on to it other people especially the the cultish originals that, that you're referencing that that's that was not why they got into it uh so i think that you need a lot of nuance and a lot of understanding and this administration is anything but uh you know con- cognizant about what exactly crypto is in terms of how to treat it or or how to go and handle it and we've seen that throughout various pieces of legislation so if you're a consumer I care about wanting to make sure that we actually let this thing foster and grow in a good environment while having reasonable uh, expectations of protection for consumers. That's that's the whole point of regulation, but not crushing the industry. Right. Uh, This is actually really important to a lot of Americans. A lot of millennials actually own crypto. A lot of Gen Z own crypto. A lot of minorities own crypto. So there's a lot of people who stand to gain if we go and have a light touch approach similar to what we saw when we had a light touch approach to the internet that resulted in countless amounts of growth to the United States and really put us to be a leader, right? So that's what we want to see moving forward. If you're a consumer, that's what I would want to see.
1: Now I've been super critical of crypto. I don't, I don't partake because I don't understand. I'm just honest. I've got friends that really know this stuff who have tried to explain it to me, and I just I can't get my head around it. So I'll just put my... I'm going to defend crypto here for just a second, though. Tell me if this if this works. I think what happened, if you have an emergency emerging technology, you and me, we're, we're free market guys. We're capitalistic guys. We want freedom for people. So we understand for new technology, a natural development is the usually the most healthy way for something to come out. This kind of reminds me. I think of the dot com stuff, where when the internet first came out, it got really top heavy. You had the bubble. The bubble collapsed, but then after that, it developed into what it became. And then you had social media, and then you had the smartphones and the iPhone. People forget iPhones aren't that old. They're only we've only had them 15 years. After that initial top heavy collapse is when the internet really became what the internet was going to be. I could see that being kind of the pattern with crypto, where it's like, okay a lot of the untoward stuff's kind of working itself out of the system we're going to have this collapse and then it's going to kind of get back to whatever it's going to be in the future is that a fair comparison do you think maybe that folks are, maybe we're just a couple of years ahead of the game here and this is still yet to play out where it's going to be i just want to be fair to crypto cuz i do bash it but i could <laughs> see it taking that path and that would actually be a healthier thing down the road
0: yeah i think i think it's not unfair to suggest it right because typically when we're thinking about Crypto and blockchain technologies, this is all part of the next generation of the, the interwebs, right? Web 3.0 uh, includes blockchain and crypto and digital assets, more broadly speaking, because this is all part of the underpinnings of how this can work um, because these these digital assets can serve as property rights on the Internet. Uh, which I think are pretty important, more broadly speaking. That being said, you know, we're in the early iterations of a lot of it, which means that a lot of it's not going to be perfect. Uh, we saw that happen with some stable coins, the the hot thing that Congress might have an interest in trying to regulate uh, with this, you know, combination of Terra Luna, where because the coin was backed in a particular fashion and that backing completely bottomed out, it completely undermined the stable coin itself. So I think that, you know, it's it's a matter of trying to figure out where the vulnerabilities are, where are the kinks, and building up that user trust. So that way, when you do get, you know, Web 2.0 and that build out that we saw that led to the rise of the social media and all that for the Web 3 equivalents, you know, we can actually have that happen a little bit more smoothly. But you're always going to have these bumps in the road. They think these things are to be expected. The market is not a kind and forgiving place people lost their shirts i mean i own ethereum I, I own dogecoin just for lol purposes and i've lost my shirt on it but i also hold on to it for the long haul i'm not in desperate need of that money right now i so i always at least when i'm talking to people about it always them to take a long you know view on this in general and try to hold on to everything because it is going to bounce back it'll come back it's more matters to what, what exactly does the structure of, of Web 3.0 and all these things that support it look like in that next iteration? Uh, and that'll come as, as technology develops and use cases develop. Now, all that's still very you know, young right now. Think about some of the use cases right now that we have, like, let's say with NFTs, right? One of the early use cases right now is actually with music and artists. That's a little niche. Uh, and it's another way of trying to break down current systems right now where you could go and do through Spotify or something else as opposed to a traditional record label but that's going to take a long time and a lot of patience so like it is going to happen but it's it's a little bit more gradual than i think people realize it's more of the unseen uh, market enhancements than you know these bold dynamic massive scales of innovation that we might be used to over years past
1: yeah cuz like people didn't see the iphone coming but like there was tech people that were like Oh, yeah, this is coming. But the public, it was like, oh, my God, this came out of nowhere. Like, no, it didn't. I think that's kind of the stage we're at right now. Uh, James, Janowski, I want to ask you this before we had to let you go, though. You were on Fox five, our friends over in D.C. on the TV. Um, you you had a great comment and I want to expound on it a little bit about how tycoons are power players in politics. We're going to link to it. It's still up on his Young Voices page. You can watch the segment in its entirety. We already talked about Elon Musk. Um, culture and politics and business all combined right there. We just saw it for months on end, right? Culture and politics combining. You got the Peter Thiels of the world out there fielding candidates like JD Vance, $10 million bankroll up front for that Silicon Valley for the democratic party is now the most important fundraising place they have as far as geography goes. This is just the new reality that when you have a lot of people with a lot of money, they're going to find places to put that money. And a lot of them want to go to politics and have, they want to be players. Um, Just talk about that for a minute, because this is a big shift, because it used to be the power players in politics was either generational wealth or the captains of industry type. Well, the new captains of industry type are in tech and they're in speculation and they're in these things. But that also changes what they want policy wise and what they expect from government, doesn't it? Yeah. So
0: I, I think that you raise an excellent point there. Uh, Political fundraising and the ability to get things that you particularly might want as an industry or as an individual uh, past is certainly not unsurprising to your ability to have a lot of wealth. Uh, With Web 2.0 and the rise of the Internet age, we saw a lot of companies amass a lot of wealth and use that towards donating to get uh, politicians that were more amenable to their positions on a wide variety of issues. And we're starting to see the same thing happen Um, here too, even with Web 3.0 and some of these other ones, uh, it's not any surprise that Andreessen Horowitz and A16Z has played a pretty big role in trying to go and shape how Web 3.0 policy might look on the federal level over the coming years. And they actually have a lot of money. You're talking about billions of dollars that he has invested across many funds to go and and develop the Web 3.0 space. So there's no surprise that we're seeing a shifting of the tides here. And the reality is, is that as our economy shifts away from being more offline to more online, that means that the power brokers that play in politics are going to shift accordingly. For better or worse, there there are some, we'll say, interesting personalities online that might throw some interesting wrenches into what this looks like. And I'll give a good example where uh, you have Sam Berkman-Fried going and forming his own pack to try to have... Uh, you know, more the most crypto-friendly politicians get elected to Congress. He did a horrible job his first time around with uh, picking and supporting candidates. But as this becomes more, you know, institutionalized, I imagine that we'll continue to see this get built out and more professional in terms of being able to vet and educate and all that. Because that's the big problem that we have right now. And as these industries grow, then that need to educate is going to be that much more important.
1: I think too, and and you we've talked about this in other formats before. The other thing about these tech guys and the new money that's coming in, like Peter Thiel, I've got all kinds of issues with him personally and politically, but he's a good example of this new rise in the power players. They're not traditionally heterodox. Um, They are different. They're not really falling into the traditional, you know, liberal, conservative, progressive right. They don't fit those boxes quite as neatly. I think we learned that with the Elon Musk things. We're like, well, he says this, this sounds more conservative and this sounds really progressive and then this sounds really libertarian. I think that's something that's going to have to change is people's going to have to change their filters a little bit when it comes to these folks. They've got niche issues. They have broad global perspectives and a lot of reasons. This is going to be a very different animal than their traditional left-right dynamic, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. But I think that's more of a symptom of the reality of politics as it currently stands. There's a lot of, I think it's impossible to miss the amount of frustration there is uh, with Washington. I mean, Uh, Our organization is doing an entire campaign about Washington waste and how people are paying more to get less because this administration that's currently in power is focused on doing all kinds of radical things that actually aren't what people want. Like they're, they, they are heterodox on average. And when you have someone like Elon Musk or, or uh, Peter Thiel, who are heterodox thinkers and don't necessarily line up cleanly R or D, it puts you in a weird Position because now it means that you actually have to think a little bit more than you might have otherwise had to, which could be a good thing, right? Like I, I would like to think that I would want to encourage not just politicians but voters to become more heterodox in their thinking in general. I think that there's actually a lot of benefit to that in terms of just wanting to develop your your thoughts and your beliefs and your core values. Um, it's not a pain. It's not a bad thing in my view, but. I think like anything else, there certainly is a cautionary tale to be had there, because when you're putting money behind those thoughts, that certainly, I think, influences how that might manifest in the form of legislation or political activity, right? So that's always something that you have to keep in the back of your mind. These heterodox thinkers, it's one thing to have them when you're outside the game. But once you're in the game, I think that that fundamentally shifts how those ideas that you might have had while outside the box get applied inside the box.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, we're going to see it actually test bedded here because it looks like some of these candidates might get through. James Arnowski, he does outstanding work. We love having him on. He's a regular here on Hertel, but you're a busy guy. You got a lot of irons in the fire, buddy. So until we get you back again, which is going to be at least a couple of weeks because you're getting ready to hit the road, let folks know where you're working, what you're working on, where they follow you on social media until they see you again next time we have you on Hertel.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very busy slate coming up. I'll be out in, uh, in Las Vegas this upcoming week for Freedom Fest to go and do a panel on, you guessed it, big tech. Uh, so it's it's been a lot of fun getting to go and do that kind of stuff. But uh, if you ever want to catch up on my musings, I always encourage people to follow me on Twitter at JamesCZ19. I also have a personal website at JamesTranowski.com, where you can always find me through the Young Voices website, too, where my work is posted there as well. So thanks for having me, Andrew. Really appreciate it. It's always a fun conversation.
1: Yeah. And we're going to get to the one we've been wanting to do, but breaking news always gets annoyed. We're going to have this gaming conversation because there's some really important, there, that's a big, you talk big tech, gaming's a huge part of big tech. People don't realize how big gaming oh, and the gaming it. culture is, but there's some I mean, really important stuff going on right now. And we're, we're going to get you on. We're going to talk kind of big picture future stuff because guess what? All them, that demographic everybody wants as voters. They're all gaming right now might want to pay attention to what's going on because they're starting to get screwed over in the gaming world, which has always been their safe space. That's going to have political ramifications. We're going to have you on talk about that soon, my friend. Uh, James Arnowski, you're the best. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir.